Thank you, Dr. Shield. And praise the Lord, everyone. Receive Mahone Batam Desibologna. I'm very happy to be here. I bring you greetings from what is now the United Pentecostal Church in Ethiopia, which is Brother Solomon Lodamo. I bring you greetings in the name of Jesus. No other. Talak Isat is up. There's a big fire there. Get at Jesus Christus, Hindu regim. The arm of the Lord is long. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Let's worship him again this morning. Well, I, I tell you what, when I think I heard the best preaching somewhere, then someone comes along and they do better. And I have so enjoyed what I've heard here. Um, never heard Brother Wells uh, preach before, but was outstanding. <laughs> outstanding. Something new. And so much so that I think I have two scriptures in the book of Mark. He made me curious about the book of Mark. Well, I am so happy to be here, and I want to express my appreciation to the Shield family. Uh, Brother Shield stayed in touch with me. Uh, they sent me a beautiful arrangement, and he has called and inquired several times about how things were, and I appreciated that very much. When I went to the hospital after I got home uh, to see what was happening, uh, when I went in, my granddaughter went with me. She was working at the hospital, but not as a nurse. So she went in the emergency room with me, and everybody looked normal. But all of a sudden, when they opened the door and came in my room, they had on all of these suits. They were covered from the top of their head to the soles of their feet. And I looked at my granddaughter and I said, what are they dressed up like that for? And then it dawned on me, I just came in from Africa. They think I have Ebola. I told him, hey, guys, <laughs> I didn't go to West Africa. I went to East Africa. So whatever. But my granddaughters calmed me down a little bit, and we got through the time. I feel something on my heart today. I'm, uh, And I know that some of you probably may have had the Holy Ghost longer than I have. I don't know who you might be. 
but I've had the Holy Ghost 60 years. I remember the Sunday morning I got it. Uh, November 15th, 1959. First time, not the first time I felt conviction, but the first time conviction had ever really worked on me like that. I had felt conviction when I was a teenager when I went to get my sister at church and she had received the Holy Ghost and she was 14 and I took her out speaking in tongues, speaking in tongues. But it didn't seem like to me that at the time I was, I was pretty afraid of it. And yet I always knew there was uh, I, I, I went when I was a teenager with some other teenagers someplace we shouldn't have gone. And while we were there, a clap of thunder came. Storm was building. And I was so afraid it was the Lord coming, and I was sitting in that place I didn't have any business being. And so I told him, you have to take me home now. There was somehow a respect for the power of God and a basic fear of not being who he wanted me to be. I was 27 when I received the Holy Ghost and I tell you God did a work on me. Someone, I don't know who, said she will never stay in the Pentecostal church because she won't just wear dresses all the time. Well, I wear dresses all the time. And I wear long dresses most of the time. But there were those people that had me so identified with the world and uh, Jerry Enzi, I don't know if any of you know Jerry Enzi. Uh, somehow he found a yearbook from my high school, and I was elected best dancer. And he tried to tell everybody, well, yes, yes. I didn't have to stop dancing. <laughs> Just a different band and different music, hallelujah. But I'm still dancing, not as easy as I used to. My sister and I both could shout on one leg with high-heeled shoes on. Now I can't even wear high-heeled shoes, but I haven't given them away. They're still in the closet. <laughs> because today I'm going to give a testimony. I'm going to preach a little bit, if the Lord allows me, about I believe God. I believe God. Whose report will you believe? I believe God. Hallelujah. Let me read from Mark 9, 24, I believe. And this is at the healing. A demon-possessed son is delivered by a father concerned. Verse 14, and when he came to his disciples, he saw a great multitude about them and the scribes questioning with them. And straightway all the people, when they beheld him, were greatly amazed 
and running to him, saluted him. And he asked the scribes, what question you with them? And one of the multitude answered and said, Master, I have brought unto thee my son, which has a dumb spirit. And whosoever he taketh him, he teareth him, he foameth and gnasheth with his teeth, and pineth away, and I spake to thy disciples that they should cast him out, and they could not. And he answered him and said, O faithless generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I suffer you? Bring him unto me. And they brought him unto him, and when he saw him straightway, the spirit tore him, tore him. And he fell on the ground and wallowed, foaming. And he asked his father, how long is it ago since this came unto him? He said, of a child. And oftentimes it had cast him into the fire and into the waters to destroy him. But if thou canst do anything, have compassion on us and help us. Jesus said unto him, If thou canst believe, all things are possible to him that believeth. To him that believeth. To him that believeth. And straightway the father of the child cried out and said with tears, Lord, I believe. Help thou my unbelief. And that should be our cry this morning. In this service, we are coming to a day when I believe God wants to do miracles in the earth like he has never done miracles in the earth. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I believe that. I'm hungry for that. I desire to see that. I don't just have an appetite for it. I have a hunger for it. A hunger is a craving, a strong desire, something that even makes you sick that you want to see or you want to experience so much. Let's move into that realm. Hallelujah. Where what we say and what we read becomes real to us. I'll tell you what, the Lord bless you, you may be seated. Uh, I want to share some experiences that we had. We got the Holy Ghost in North Louisiana. I had a pastor. A lot of people want to counsel, always want to counsel with the pastor, want his time. I need to talk to you, pastor. I need to talk to you, pastor. You didn't want to talk to my pastor. Because when you came out there, you weren't the same as when you went in. I, If I wanted to find my pastor at a, a service somewhere, I just waited. They said, praise the Lord. And his great old big arm and hand would be up above everybody else's. When I went to the first ladies' prayer meeting, after I received the Holy Ghost, which was the next day on Monday morning, our pastor was up on the platform praying with us. 
encourages. When he took up an offering, he always put two offering plates out, and he emptied both pockets and put his offering in. There were so many things that he taught us and taught us. You came on Wednesday night with a notebook and a pencil because you were going to be studying Christian living or holiness or what it, what it really means uh, to be a Christian. He taught us how to pray with a big old deep booming, booming voice. And I remember uh, the things that he shared with us. They brought to all city, Louisiana, four children. And when he came there, uh, the church had gone through a really bad place. There wasn't a lot moving. Uh, there were only about three men in the church then. And he dug in. Brother T.W. Barnes advised him not to go. He said, if you go, uh, all city has almost become twice dead, plucked up by the roots. And all city had been a good church. And But Brother Marcus knew that God had sent him. And so he went there. And I, I mentioned this not long ago. Uh, one of the first things he did was call an old prophet by the name of Joe Duke. And when Joe Duke came to Oil City, windows open, people went out windows out the back door. Everybody that got into sin was sent out. And he began to clean, really clean the church up. He scared me so bad when I first got the Holy Ghost and I heard about Joe Duke. You don't want to be around Brother Joe Duke. Well, I'd like to look from afar off and kind of see what this is like. But I remember one night in, after we got the Holy Ghost, he came back to the church there for a time, a blind man. He couldn't see. He didn't have to see. God talked to him. I want God to be able to talk to me. I want to know the voice of God. I want to know when to run and when not to run. I want to know when to act and when not to act. And there's a time to run. The Bible doesn't say that in Ecclesiastes, but there is, I can tell you. There's a time to be still and there's a time to run. I've lived in those places. In Israel, if you're in the post office and somebody shouts out, abandoned package, you run out. When the bus throws on the brakes and stops, and the driver said, abandoned package, you're out the door of that. You run and look back later. When Brother Duke began his ministry after we were there, and I was observing, and I'd see him walk around, uh, and uh, all of a sudden he'd stop and kind of look up. He, he couldn't see. But he would almost ID whoever, if there were strangers or people not used to the church, even those used to the church. And I marveled at the way this man could know the voice of God and believe him and act on it when he couldn't even actually see the results of what he was saying. But there was faith in his heart, hallelujah, as he put that word out there. There was one lady that uh, she was sort of a chronic 
person uh, having a victim uh, feeling. She was always a victim. And her husband was alcoholic, and she did have a lot of problems, had two boys. And she went up to Brother Duke one night, and she told him how bad her husband was. And, you know, he just treats me like this and treats me like this. And she said, Brother Duke, what do you think I should do? He said, pick up a stick of stove wood and knock him in the head. She said, Brother Duke, he said, God doesn't intend for the devil to just stand there and beat up on God's children. Just handle him. Well, our church was not that big, and so we had to cook a meal and take in uh, to the parsonage to help. I didn't have a lot of dishes then. Our home had just been so uh, broken down when we got the Holy Ghost. We had been in really bad trouble away from God during time, and so when we came back, there was a lot to recover. So I had a few dishes, so I cooked my meal that I took down there. And uh, so I had to go back the next day and get the dishes because I didn't have that many dishes. Now I have dishes everywhere, cabinets filled with dishes. Nobody, I never set the table with them, but they're there. My home has taken on the look of a, a hoarder or something. With all of these things I've collected through the years, and I, I, I said to one of my friends that came to visit the other day, but you have to understand, most of these things were given to me, and I'm sentimental. I don't throw them away. I just find a flat surface and put them on there. And when I run out of flat surfaces, I just get something else with a flat surface and put it in there so I can fill it up. So I went back to get my dishes, and I thought, oh, I hope he's in his room. I hope he's in the church. I hope he's somewhere. I hope I don't have to pass by him. And there he was in the big old rocker in the living room. So I tiptoed by him. He was sleeping. Put the dishes, got the dishes, started out the door with him. And just about the time I was going out the door, he said, Sister! Oh, God. Lord, let it be painless, as painless as possible anyway. And he said, best shrimp Creole I ever tasted. And so thank God I got by Brother Joe Duke that time, and I was. But the things that happen, the belief system, the revival that started in all city that had been pronounced twice dead, plucked up by the root, somebody got a hold of believing God that it shall be, as Paul said, even as it was said. Hallelujah. When God tells us something, hallelujah, he means what he says. And let me tell you what the judge is, is this book right here. If it's written in this book, God can do it again. He's not just a one-time God. Hallelujah! He can raise the dead. I've seen it with my own eyes. 
Hallelujah. While struggling with language in Ethiopia, and if you can believe it, 70 different languages there, and not any of them easy, but struggling. I couldn't even ask for a cool glass of water. Anyway, I would practice and practice. And uh, I heard a commotion in the backyard. The guard had to have a night guard, had to have a day guard. And when I went to the back door and looked, the guard was wrestling with an Ethiopian woman. And she was holding her little bundle up here against her chest. She was pushing her him away with her other hand. And I said to him, who is she? He said, I don't know. How did she get in? I don't know. What does she want? He said, she is a woman. I don't know what she wants. And he put his hand out, she put her hand out toward me. She said, missionary woman. She didn't know my name. She knew where I lived. Missionary woman, pray for my son. I marvel that in this country, where medical help, everything is available. I marvel that women that march in the streets for the right to murder their babies, I cannot get my mind wrapped around that. 60 million so far in this country, and I told somebody in the church recently, I have come here for two reasons. I'm old, that's one of the reasons, and because I'm old, I have a lot to say, and you need to hear it. And secondly, I'm here to defend the unborn. I'm here to defend the unborn. I'm here, hallelujah, to speak on behalf of the unborn, those which have never been privileged, hallelujah, to open their mouth and ask for anything. And along with that, the parents that murder their own children, and it's not enough to murder them, they, they torment them. They torture them. What could I say to a man? I've got to believe God that anybody that will repent and truly repent, God can forgive and can make a decent human being out of them. I have to believe that on the basis of this book. I have to believe that I cannot make the judgment of when God is finished with anybody. What I read is that mercy reaches from heaven to earthward. I've never measured that. 
so I cannot measure how far God would go with somebody. Hallelujah. It's just up to us to believe this word and preach it like it's written and believe it, believe it, believe it, that it shall be even as it was told to me that it was going to be. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And he, she just kept saying, missionary woman. And I said, tell her to come. She came up. And uh, she uncovered a child. A child that was not breathing. A child that was not even real warm to the touch. About nine months, ten months, maybe a year and a half, small. And she said, pray for my son. Women in Africa, most of them, they don't abort their babies. If you ask a woman who has birthed ten children, how many children do you have? I have five living. I have five who are not here. My youngest daughter, Jeannie, she has kept a daycare ever since she was 18 years old when she married. That's what she chose to do. She's been honored in the state of Wyoming. She's one of the best that I know. And her love for children has just been beyond. She has five of her own, and she has now several grandchildren. Jeannie's a, a good girl. When she was expecting her first child, I had been to Ethiopia in 1974, uh, and I came back. Her baby was scheduled to be born in August, and I went to her place, and uh, I told her, I said, I, I, I'm supposed to be in a revival in Tulsa on such and such a date in August, so you got to have this baby. You can't mess around. And she, I said, let's walk. Let's walk. Let's walk. Do a little jump. Jump over this a little bit. Come on, we got to bird this baby. And we went to the house, and later on I heard her let out a squeal. And she said, ah! Her water had broken. She said, it's coming. It's coming. I'm going to have a baby. It was such joy in her. That joy should be in us for the unborn children in the womb of the church, brother. Brother Coder, they're in the womb of the church. I believe you, God. I believe you. Hallelujah. 
Hallelujah. In spite of what I see with my eyes at time, I believe you. To the hospital we went, and while she was birthing that child, and I got to stand by her a minute, she said, Mom, am I, am I doing okay? Am I doing okay? She said, I haven't hollered one time. I said, you holler all you want to. You just go ahead. And she, she had that baby, and there was so much joy in her for the birthing. Later on in her life, she had a miscarriage, and I think it was on Mother's Day that she had it. And the baby was only like two months or something. She and her husband, she didn't even know she was going to miscarry. When she did, they retrieved the little baby and picked up a nice box in a shoebox, and they had a funeral and buried that baby. I'm telling you, there's a love for the unborn. Praise God. And in defense of the unborn. Hallelujah. If we cause to abort in any way what God has placed in our care, it's not just when we can see them with our natural eye. It's while they're in the womb and we just see the evidence that the baby is there. It's going to come. It's going to be revival time. That baby's going to get ready to deliver. Hallelujah. We need some people who are not afraid of a little pain for the bringing forth. Now, when I talk about that, what am I talking about? I'm talking about intercessory prayer. I'm talking about travailing prayer. Praise God. When I went to a physical therapist once and I'd heard about a, a treatment might could be done, would help me with some spinal problems. And he said, do you pray? I said, yes, I pray. There were crystals all over his place at Kelsey Temple. He said, uh, how do you pray? I, how do you mean, how do I pray? Well, he said, with your condition, in what position do you pray? What position do I pray? Well, I pray running. I pray dancing. I pray on my knees. I pray standing up, and sometimes I pray like giving birth to a child. He said, I have never heard anything like this in my life. And he said, I was a Christian for 40 years, and the most interesting thing I ever saw would equate with paint drying on the wall. I said, well, just come with me, and I'll take you somewhere where you will not have to endure paint drying on the wall. When we get our belief system, praise God, it's so easy to say what this man said. Lord, I believe, help thou my unbelief. 
the woman, I looked at the baby and I said, oh my, this, this is not a good thing. If this baby dies, they can make us leave the country. These are serious things. And I looked at it, and she wants us to pray. You don't pray for a dead baby. You bury a dead baby. Isn't that what usually happens? And I looked at her, Mama, pray, pray. And, and I said, Lord, I don't have any language. Give me language. I need language to share with her. No language, no language, no help until God, the Lord said to me this, what are you asking me for? Just words, a few words. Why don't you do what she asked you to do and allow me to work? You have asked me for things. Now you ask me for words. My husband stepped through from the back part of the house. What is all this? Honey, this baby is dead and she wants us to pray. What shall we do? He said, what she asked us to do? And he took that little baby and held him. And we began to pray thousands of miles away on the other side of the world, standing in our kitchen, no organ, no music, no accompaniment, no nothing, just God's word, hallelujah, and the faith of that woman that ran up the side of a mountain with a baby that she knew was not living when she brought it to us, hallelujah. She didn't have the Holy Ghost. Now, she did get the Holy Ghost. We baptized her in our bathtub in the name of Jesus Christ, Hallelujah. And she did receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost. And as we prayed for that baby, all of a sudden, that infant began to move in our arms. Hallelujah. 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 We got a little, I don't remember if it's tea or Pepsi-Cola, that we put down his throat. And guess what his name was? His name was Hezekiah. God had added years to Hezekiah's life, the last time I knew anything about him, he was 32 years old, and God had raised him from the dead. That's what the book is all about. I believe, God, that it shall be. I believe, God, that it shall be in Tennessee, in Indiana, in Mississippi, in Arkansas. There have been certain places that I wanted to share. But the unbelief was enough that I just didn't feel the liberty to say it. So with what's already been preached here and what's going to happen this next year for a lighthouse, how many babies are going to be born in this delivery room? 
Hallelujah. They're in the womb. You've already prayed. You've asked the Lord. You don't even know who all it is yet. Hallelujah. But it's there. Praise God. Hallelujah. Get to the prayer room. Quick, let's have a prayer meeting. Hallelujah. Let's see God move. Let's not abort these babies. Don't ever say we can't afford a revival. You can't afford not to have a revival. My, my, my. I feel the power of God in this place so strong right now and belief. Belief. Everybody that is a member of Lighthouse Church, raise up your hand and say, I believe. I believe it's coming here. Hallelujah. I believe it's going to happen. I believe it. I believe it. Hallelujah. Each time I come, the choir gets better. The children's choir gets better. It tells me there are babies in the womb. Hallelujah. And God will deliver if we will believe. Oh, Jesus. And when we prayed, and that little fella started squirming, that was the, the most miraculous thing I had ever seen. Brother Wendell and I didn't have a lot of experience when we went to Ethiopia. We never pastored, except at a little old church while we was in Bible school. Then we took care of one in Louisiana, a few months while we waited on our papers to come. In both of those places, we knocked on every door within the city limits of that town. And one was a Catholic area. My husband went first to the Catholic senior, whatever they call him. My husband always introduced himself. My name's Brother Kenneth Wendell. I'm just plain vanilla. My youngest daughter would say, Dad, please don't say that. Dad, people already know that. They know that. They've heard that. Don't say that. And please, Dad, this is a big church. Don't sing. Please don't sing. Because he could not really carry a tune. But he always picked it up, whether he could carry it or not, and went with it. He was just plain vanilla. Hallelujah. Somebody asked me one time, where is Brother Wendell? I said he passed away a long time ago. Well, you talked about him almost like he's real. I tell you what, when I went back to Ethiopia last October, I stood there. I said, Kenneth, I don't know if you're hearing me or not. But I'm back. Fifty years ago, we stepped on this continent and in this country. And God, in spite of our not having any experience and not having a big degree in education, didn't even get to finish Bible school, God did it, God did it, God did it, God did it. God. 
that it shall be. Praise God. During our deputation, I was with him most of the time. One night, I said, honey, let me, let me stay in all city with the children just this one night. And he went to DeRitter, Louisiana, north of DeRitter. Had service there with a brother, Max Sterling. Max Sterling, after my husband witnessed to him about the Rocky Mountain District, Max Sterling went to the church in Great Falls, Montana, and was there for quite a long time. And Kenneth was on his way back, almost to Shreveport. A car crossed the middle line, coming head first at my husband. It was estimated that each of the cars was going at least 60 to 70 miles an hour. My husband was in a Buick station wagon. It was amazing. The way that it happened, his hands on the steering wheel. He was lifted up somehow, and his hands went into the windshield. And his head was in the headliner, not in the glass. His knees went in the dash. You could see where both of his knees were. I received a call at 1 o'clock in the morning. A stranger. I never met the stranger. I just heard her voice. And she said, you need to get to the Shumpert Hospital in Shreveport as soon as you can. Your husband has quit his fault. He's been in an automobile accident. I didn't even have a car there. I called Pastor in Old City. Can y'all take me to the hospital? Everything went through her mind. We had all this deputation behind us. We were ready to go. You know, just waiting on papers and getting things together. Excited about it. Couldn't wait to meet an Ethiopian. The first ones we met, I'm sure they thought we were insane because we just looked at them. You know, we finally have seen a real Ethiopian. And uh, somebody asked me, in, <laughs> in fact, Brother Deed said, you're still on that Ethiopian thing, aren't you? And I said, yeah, not Probably will be the rest of my life. Somebody said, what did you talk about before you went? I said, I talked about going. <laughs> For me, it was not love them and leave them. Uh, there's still many Ethiopians I'm in touch with. But when I got to the hospital, Two state troopers were on the outside. Are you Ms. Wendell? Yes. Come with us. We went in. They had not even taken the glass off of him. Somebody was still on him. Hip was broken. Ribs were broken. Glass had cut up some. And when I walked up to his bed in the in the uh, emergency, emergency room, do you know what my husband said to me? Bobby, is there not a cause? And I said, yes, there is a cause. 
And I don't know how God's going to do it. But God's going to do it. I went to the doctor, Czechoslovakian, Dr. Holerbeck. Known him for years. And I said, Dr. Joe. And he said, Bobby, I know what's on your mind. I know how bad you want to go to Africa, but you're probably not going to get to go. And this is what he said. He said, Kenneth won't walk out of here. He's not going to walk out of here. He'll go out of here in a box. I went straight down to the Catholic chapel. I'd never been in one in my life. I didn't even know about the little knee thing that you could. So I just got down Pentecostal style on the floor. And I began to talk to God. All of a sudden, somebody started shaking me because I was praying in the Holy Ghost. And the nun came up and she said, who are you and what are you doing? I said, my husband is dying. And we're called to be missionaries in Africa. We're almost ready to go. I'm praying for God to raise him up off of that bed. She said, you go ahead and pray. You will get your answer. And, uh, oh, in the midst of all that, went to the Old City Church one night just to be with my kids and sitting with my husband. And the Lord said, go back to the hospital. Go back. It took my oldest daughter on the way back down to the hospital, spoken to by God in a strong voice, get to the hospital. A car crossed the center lane, coming at me and my daughter head on. I had to go to the ditch, and my car almost turned over. It was then when I realized Satan has a plan in this. Hallelujah. Our timing in Ethiopia was perfection. It was perfection. We had one term. Hallelujah. In the history of the United Pentecostal Church, it's the only field where first-time missionaries went to a brand-new field. Hallelujah. And in one term, a national-led church was put uh, together. Hallelujah. And had already baptized over 3,000 people in the name of Jesus for the remission of sins. It was a miraculous work of God, but it was a product of, I believe God. I believe God. And it shall be. Don't forget the children in the womb. Don't forget. So, I told my daughter, we have to get to the hospital. The devil doesn't want us to get there. And when we went in, I looked at my husband and I knew why. And he was so distraught. He said, something's wrong, Bobby. They think it's my ribs. It's not my ribs. I know it's not my ribs. And about that time, he just said, ooh, and went backwards. His eyes just rolled up. I screamed for the nurse. She came in, and she yelled code right away, and she went tearing out there. He had blood clots struck his lungs. We were there just minutes before that happened. I got to the phone, no, no cell phones, nothing. 
I got Brother Barnes. I said, this is what's happened. He said, if Brother Wendell can understand you, you go say to him, the devil cannot kill God's preachers. You tell him that. You tell him that. And I got to tell my husband, Brother Barnes said, the devil can't kill God's preachers. I don't know how this is going to happen, but I know by the word of God that it is going to happen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. We're not going to take this sitting down. You're not going to back us up and say, well, maybe you missed God. We had too many people to tell us in the beginning, well, God just wants you to be willing. Well, I don't believe that. I believe God wanted us to go. Hallelujah. 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 So the night of the blood clot was Sunday night. That night, a church in Indiana and a church in Longview, Texas, took up a special offering for us. That night, special duty nurses were called for to sit with Brother Wendell for a week. The money that was taken up by those two churches was exactly what we needed for the nurses. We didn't have any insurance. We needed that money for the nurses. Those men that pastored those churches had no idea that money was taken up before the blood clot ever struck, but it provided for that. Praise God. Standing for seven weeks, I was in hospital with my husband, Brother Urshan, came to pray. Uh, several others came and prayed. But that week that those nurses were on duty, that day nurse was some kind of woman, I'm telling you. She was tough as nails. And we were making a lot of noise. She said, I never heard anything about you people, about Pentecost. I never heard any of that until you all come. I said, well, there's a whole bunch of us. I mean, we're everywhere. <laughs> and so my five minutes came to get in the room and pray with my husband. I would sing to him, they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They're going to mount up on wings like the eagles. They'll run and not be weary, walk and never faint. Teach me, Lord, teach me, Lord, to wait. And then my husband would say, Bobby, we're going to get there. We're going to get there. Hallelujah. 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 And he started speaking in tongues and praising the Lord, laying there on the bed. The nurse came through the door. Boom. She said, you go back outside. Look, she said, he's out of his head. I said, he's not out of his head. She said, you can't understand what he's saying. I said, he's not talking to me. He's talking to one that understands every word that he's speaking out of his mouth. I believe God. I believe God. I believe God. I believe God that it shall be. It shall be. It shall be. Woo! 
be. It shall be. It shall be. It's the year the devil's going to run. Hallelujah. Devil, get your hand off of the Wells family. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. It's going to happen. It's going to happen. Gina's going to have revival. Gina's going to have revival. At the end of seven weeks, Kenneth Wendell walked out of the hospital. Got back in his car, started deputation all over again. Hallelujah. When the visa came, it was just for him, not for me. I called foreign missions. I said, we are peanut butter and jelly. We go together. Well, you'll have to wait. And so my husband went first and spent several months, about three months there, until we were able to get our visas and our whole family went. He was so glad we finally made it. The geography changed. The strategy didn't. Praise God. Ethiopia required a social or welfare work done if you were going to preach. The UPC had no money for such. They only, they didn't even have PIMs then. They just had general fund. And general fund was always almost zero balance. Gasoline was $6 a gallon. First time I went grocery shopping, I just pushed the basket aside and went back, got in the car and started crying. And my husband said, what's the matter with you? Where are the groceries? I didn't get anything. Bobby, did you get anything? Were you going to get anything you didn't need? No. Well, go back in there and get it. 
because God will provide. We had to go early and get meat before the bugs started flying around it. And white flour was next to hard to find. But things changed location. But it continued to happen. They brought a little girl for my husband to pray for. Supposedly deaf and dumb. And I said to him, how are you going to pray for her? She can't hear you. What are you going to say? He said, I'm going to say what Jesus said in the Bible. Thou deaf and dumb spirit, come out of this child right now. Hallelujah. We didn't know any language to amount to anything. But I tell you what happened. That child started making noises. I couldn't understand if she was saying language or what she was saying. But the main thing was she was talking. Hallelujah. 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 He's a miracle working God. He can still heal. Yes, he can. Yes, he can. Yes, he can. And we are his people. We are the children of his name. We are his preachers. Boy, there's some things I reach back on what happened. The ladies in the All City Church, I was so glad to be a part of the Donut Club. Donut, peanut brittle, pizzas all round. Got to keep it rolling. Mom, are you going to join the donut club? Oh, yes, yeah. And Brother Marcus was so happy because revival had started after three years. And he had said it. They built the Sunday school rooms for it. He was going to preach it himself. He was starting November 15, 1959, in a little apartment, moved out of our nice house, couldn't afford it anymore. We're two broken people with two little children. The two older children with the grandparents because we could not even keep them. All husbands sick, completely sick, unable to work, broken down. Hallelujah. That couple had moved right within sight of that, that church. My mother went there. My sister went there. Hallelujah. There was, if there was one new car on a car lot there, I, I, wouldn't, I couldn't have told you if there was. I, I, probably maybe a dozen people owned their home. The rest were rent. They were oil-filled people. It was oil-filled country. It was minimum wage. The money that was made from oil city was made by people who lived somewhere else that had leased all the oil property and everything. And in that little apartment up there, that woman was not supposed to let her husband um, be by himself. And two little 15-month-old boy and four-year-old daughter. I went to the kitchen sink and looked out and saw all those cars gathering in to that church down there. And I just got there. I turned. I started getting ready. 
my husband said, where are you going? I'm going to my, I'm going to church. Uh, the church uptown where we used to, we don't go there anymore. He said, but we don't even have a car. I said, I'm walking. Where are you going? I'm going to my mama's church. I'm going, you're not supposed to leave me. Well, get ready. I still have that gray wool jacket he was wearing that day, and I still have that red and green dress I was wearing that day. I'm tucked down in my cedar chest, you know. That's the hoarding spirit, I guess. And my little boy had two changes of clothes. I put one on him and washed the other one. <coughs> the little girl didn't say much. She was four years old. It was all too dark for her. It wasn't a happy time. This was the day that the revival was going to start in Old City. And on Saturday night, before that, there were cars everywhere. Oh, what's happening down there? A missionary was there. He was a missionary to Australia, Brother Bogue. And he gave his testimony that night. And brother, the pastor said, give him your offering and your prayers. Even if we don't ha take up an offering tomorrow, give to this man tonight. And when they prayed the dismissal prayer, this is what they prayed. Let the angel of the Lord go out from this place tonight. And those that are in greatest need, those that have problems, those that are closer to eternity, deal with them and bring them to the house of God. Hallelujah. That they might be saved, that they might be made whole. Hallelujah. And the angel of the Lord went out because that Saturday night, in the middle of the night, I woke up. Couldn't find my husband. Didn't turn on the light, felt around the wall. Kenneth. Here, Bobby. He said, Bobby, we're lost. We're lost. We're not lost. I know where we are. We are in Oil City. Bobby, you still don't understand. We're lost without God. So the next morning, I started getting ready. So he got ready, and this broken man and woman walked out of that little apartment with a little girl, four years old, and a 15-month-old baby. And the pastor that had been in that service the night before was looking at the kitchen window, wondering what God was going to do when they start this revival because it's so powerful. And the missionary service was so strong. Something is going to happen. He saw us walking that little oil field road. And he said, I will give them time to see if they come in the back door. And I will go back and speak to them. He knew us. But the reason he didn't know us then is because of the ravages of sin and sickness that had taken hold to destroy a whole family 
And when he walked through the, the church doors going into the, into the auditorium, we walked up the back doors, the same one I had walked out of when my sister was 14, and she got the Holy Ghost, and I took her home. I, while we walked up those steps, sat back here on the next to the last or the last row. He came back, and he came back to, and when he saw who we were, he, he just started weeping. He just started weeping because my mother never failed. Pray for my children. They're out there without God. Pray for my children. Pray for my children. Don't pray that your children go to another church. Don't pray that they get settled down somewhere else. Hallelujah. Get them back to the altars in the house of God. Get them back to the altars in the house of God. I believe God. I believe in the convicting power of God that can go out in this city and trouble every backslider that ever fell away from this church. And when he turned around to walk from us, his shoulders just shook. And I said, what kind of man is this that he would weep over us? I'll tell you something else. In the apostolic movement, tears are not easy to find anymore. Weeping may endure for the night, but joy cometh in the morning. He that goeth forth, bearing precious seed, weeping, shall without a doubt come back, rejoicing bringing in the sheaves. It's revival time. It's harvest time. Hallelujah. It's time for us to move like we have never moved before and not be shoved back in a closet. You're not in competition with anybody. Praise God. You're on the front lines with Jesus. You're not competing. God, get rid of this spirit of oppression, not just oppression, but I'm talking about this wounded spirit, this spirit that, that we always get our feelings hurt I tell you, if you'd have sat under my pastor, you'd have learned how not to get your feelings hurt. Spirit of offense. Offense. So he went to the pulpit and opened the service. How many of you have heard of Brother Jerry Green? I went to school with Jerry Green. I grew up with him. Uh, he nagged me about church when he got in there, before I got in it. And I remember one time being at a little grocery store there in Oil City. I was not dressed properly. And I heard Jerry Green's voice. I said, oh. He's and so I stooped down behind the bread counter. And I didn't hear his voice anymore. I thank God he's gone. So I came out and he said, hi, Bobby. I should have known. But he's one of my dearest. He was my husband's dearest friend. And I love them. God is blessing them in their retirement in a really wonderful way. Revival in the church. Praise God. 
But his mother was the choir leader. His mother had been paralyzed with sickness. And God spoke the word. Hallelujah. And she stood up out of that wheelchair. And after that, she didn't walk anywhere. She ran everywhere. And when she'd lead that choir, she'd run from one side to the other side. And they started singing Brother Clanton's song, My Thanks to Him. If I should live a thousand years down here below and praise the Lord from the dawn till set of sun, that wouldn't be time enough to show my thanks to Him. My thanks to Him. For all that he has done. And then the power of conviction hit me. I looked toward my husband to hand him the baby. I had never been to an altar in a Pentecostal church. Never. And I thought my husband shook his head no so I sat back down and that conviction left for just a moment then it frightened me it was like God is gone and he's not coming back and I said Lord if you'll let me feel that one more time I'll be obedient and it came back and I set that baby down and I ran to the altar. I did not walk to the altar. Hallelujah. I ran to the altar. And that little woman that had led that song, she was one of the main ones praying with me. There was about three of the ladies in the church, the older ladies. They were all praying for me. And finally she said to me, she said, Bobby, you have been repenting three hours, darling. I think you ought to have it all taken care of by now. So... Maybe you could just lift up your hands and receive the Holy Ghost. So after three hours of repentance, hallelujah, hallelujah, the Holy Ghost fell like rain. Sunday morning, November 15, 1959, revival time, harvest time has come. Three years of miraculous moving of the power of God in a church and rebuild it and put men in the church Hallelujah, put strength in the church. I believe God. Let's everybody stand. Don't get quiet on me right now. Lift up your voices. Lift up your voices. Lift up your voices. Come out from where you stand and walk in these aisles and thank God and say, I believe God. I believe God that it shall be. Come on, Apostolic Church. We gotta burn the babies. <laughs>